obviously this is the fate of the world at stake uh, because if the United States doesn't support Ukraine, Ukraine cannot win this war. Ultimately, Kyiv will be a Russian city and we will rue the day that we left Ukraine to hang out to drive. That was Democratic Senator Chris Murphy outlining the stakes if Congress doesn't enact new funding for Ukraine. Today, Congress has approved more than $110 billion for Kyiv since Russia's invasion. The current package calls for an additional $61 billion for Ukraine. But as we mentioned earlier, that funding, along with money for Israel, was blocked in the U.S. Senate yesterday because Republicans want more to be done to protect the border. President Biden's push to compel Congress to act, now getting some help from the United Kingdom. Former U.K. Prime Minister, current Foreign Minister David Cameron was in Washington yesterday meeting with House Speaker Mike Johnson. You see them right there. And Cameron's visit to the United States is in part to reaffirm Britain's support for Ukraine. We are happy to be joined this morning by U.K. Foreign Minister David Cameron. Thank you so much for your time. And let's just go to that meeting with the House Speaker. Did it seem that he was committed to getting that funding to Ukraine, even if it means you know, Republican concessions. I think he is committed to getting that, that money through, and most of the people I met on the Hill yesterday support backing Ukraine because it's the right thing to do. I mean, if you fundamentally think about it, the countries supporting Ukraine add up the economies, and we, we outmatch Russia 30 to 1. We've just got to make that economic strength show and make it pay, uh, and that's what this is all about. Obviously, it's complicated about exactly how a bill goes through Congress and what it gets attached to it, and I don't want to get involved in that, but I just absolutely know that this money will make a huge difference to a Ukrainian campaign that actually is, in many ways, far more successful than people give them credit for. They've taken back half the land that Russia stole from them. The other night, they destroyed 20% of Russia's attack helicopters in one night, thanks to American equipment. They've driven the Russian Navy back across the Black Sea. They're exporting grain again, so their economy is growing again. This is an investment into their success, and the worst thing in the world would be to allow Putin a win in Ukraine, not just because uh, that would be bad in itself, but he'd be back for more. Mr. Ford Secretary, the U.S. and the U.K. have been pillars in the kind of Western coalition that has driven the funding, that has driven the support over the course of this conflict. In your view, what happens to that coalition if the U.S. can't deliver uh, with this round of funding? Well, the U.S. is the linchpin of the coalition because you're such a strong and powerful economy and you have such capable military and diplomatic and economic assets. But one of the things I've been pleased to see coming back into politics is actually the incredible unity across the European nations. You know, NATO is getting stronger and bigger. We've got Sweden joining, Finland joining. Many more countries are spending 2% of their GDP on uh, on defense, which is absolutely right. I called for many years ago, and quite rightly, the Americans have supported it. But there's no doubt that, that America coming forward with this package will lift the morale of Ukrainians. It will make sure Europe focuses on doing more. And to people in, in the U.S. who say, well, is, the, is, is Europe doing enough? Right now, actually, if you add up military and civilian, uh, European nations are doing more than the U.S. And I think that's important and quite right. Turning to the war between Israel and Hamas, the U.K.'s defense secretary is visiting Israel and also the West Bank this week. Your, your former chief foreign policy advisor, John Kasson, has been critical of the Netanyahu regime's approach and what we're seeing in terms of the response in Gaza, saying, quote, the current approach is not making the Israelis safe and secure for the long term, but creating a traumatized generation of Palestinians, teaching them 
that Israel is their enemy, it is undermining the prospects of a two-state solution and deliberately dismantling it. Do you agree and do you have concerns about the continued way that Israel is responding? Well, I start from the simple proposition that what happened on October the 7th was a terrible terrorist attack. And I stood in Kibbutz Berry and mm -hmm. saw the rooms where, you know, children were murdered in front of their parents and parents were killed in front of their children. And we have to give Israel that basic support of saying, you are right to try to get rid of Hamas's leadership and its uh, armed personnel because effectively you can't live next to a state that is run by a, a group of, of, of terrorists. And so, you know, it, to that extent, we should support Israel. And to people who call, you know, for an immediate ceasefire now, if we leave Hamas in charge of even a part of Gaza, there will never be a two-state solution because you can't expect Israel to live next to a, a group of people that are... That want to do October the 7th all over again. But of course, as Israel takes the steps that it's taking, we want them to obey international humanitarian law. We want them to minimize civilian casualties. I know you had um, Tony Blinken on your program yesterday, and I'm going to be meeting with him today. And he made a series of points about how Israel is trying to behave differently in the south of Gaza to the north of Gaza. And I think that is right. And we should continue to make those points to them because Ultimately, the long-term security of Israel does depend not only on their own armed strength and fortitude, but also on having um, Palestinians able to live in, in, in peace and security as well. Sir, you're an astute observer of obviously your politics, but the U.S. politics as well. I'm interested <clears throat> if we could step back, because in all of these conflicts, the leadership of the U.S. is a critical piece of it. When you look at the political uh, realities in the United States right now, a 2024 campaign that's very much on a way, underway and a front-runner that is somebody who disagrees on a lot of issues uh, with kind of the key Western uh, pillars of the last several decades. What do you think? Well, I think two things. One is that, you know, your friends and allies um, have got to make a better case for why, you know, European security is so essential to American security. I believe that it is. I mean, if you look at our two countries, uh, our people live all over the world, our businesses trade all over the world. The case for engagement, for trying to bring about stability and security in the Middle East, the case for beating back Putin in Ukraine, the cases for those things are very strong. They're in our own national interests. But I think there's something else we both have in common, which is our domestic politics have been sort of disrupted by problems over immigration, by problems over unequal economic development as the, the uh, and some people in places left behind and we have to address those issues too so um, the but that shouldn't be alternatives we've got to address our domestic issues and problems and domestic security and prosperity and at the same time be thoroughly engaged abroad the the two things do go together it's it's harder to argue for it's hard to do but this was never meant to be easy UK Foreign Secretary former Prime Minister David Cameron we appreciate your time sir thank you very much Thank you.